sexual energy, sexual attraction, sexual intercourse has the power to launch us into heaven. The mystics understood this. This is why they could understand Christ as a divine bridegroom and the sexual analogy, climax, all of that to lead into that. That's what they got. The mystics understood this. However, it's the it's the person who doesn't understand that it's a gift from God that's meant to launch us into heaven where it implodes and launches us into hell. Because the devil, like you were saying earlier, the devil loves to hijack that energy, that nuclear energy, and use it for his own purposes to malign and redefine what God has deemed good from the beginning. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us in another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. So blessed that you have decided to join us. We hope you get a lot out of this episode. We are looking forward to diving in uh, to this topic. If uh, you are looking for a place to donate, head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus, where we are going to come out with this episode two times longer. You're going to get double the amount of content, a lot more of the thoughts and the hopefully the, the banter and the back and forth that we enjoy um, there at Catholic Gentleman Plus. In addition, we also have monthly uh, sessions that are coming out this month on fatherhood uh, for annual subscriptions. We send our quote book and um, leather keychain and a lot of other fun things. It's a great way of supporting the Catholic Gentleman as well as growing in the faith. So uh, head over there. You click on the, the link in the show notes. We are your hosts. I'm John Heinen. We've got Sam Guzman and we've got Devin Shod uh, here. Devin is the executive director of Fathers of St. Joseph. He is uh, new, but becoming uh, a more established voice on the Catholic gentleman. And we couldn't be more grateful uh, for having him here. So Devin, how are you doing today? Good. I just wish that voice was a little deeper, more masculine. That's what you know, <laughs> with technology Being these called. days, the, the things we can do. <laughs> That's right. Sam, how are you doing? <clears throat> I'm doing great. Feeling good. good today. Good. How's the mental health counseling uh, practice uh, moving? Uh, sounds great. Uh, as of uh, December 13th, I'll be on my own. So my last day is kind of uh, December 12th. Feast uh, wow. of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So wow. uh, I'm excited to, to begin a new chapter. Amen. Well, all our listeners, please offer a prayer for Sam as he enters into his own individual practice there to help heal um all the all the wounded that uh, that he's gonna he's gonna be able to connect with on a regular basis praise god so here's the episode that we've all been waiting for it's the one that you guys have all been looking for it is the time for us to dive in and talk about the interesting sin of lust and and dialogue about that and i do say that it is interesting and it's something that we live in a sex saturated sex obsessed culture we all know it but it didn't take hugh hefner it didn't take sports illustrated swimsuit edition it didn't take freud to uh i diagnose the issue of lust within uh uh the temptation of the heart of individuals and in fact i want to turn quickly to thomas aquinas where he said lust is about the greatest of pleasures and these absorb the mind more than any other so all the way back to thomas aquinas he was fully aware of the nature of man and the temptations that men face and so in today's episode we want to dialogue about this we want to talk about these temptations we want to talk about um, our own uh personal healing and our own uh growth and better understanding uh god's given uh joys and uh, pleasures that he has uh, put on our our hearts and in our nature and we want to help you guys better understand how to combat uh 
temptation and overcome lust. And and so uh, with that, I'm going to turn to Devin and see Devin, you know, when you hear this topic in the subject and you think about our wrestling with it today, what first comes to mind? I love sex. I mean, <laughs> that'd be it. I mean, no, I, I, I think that um, this is one of the most difficult aspects of the masculine existence because if women could only understand, if they could only get inside, I'm talking about probably 85% of the women, there's about 15 or 20% of the women who, you know, higher testosterone levels and perhaps think a little bit like we do. However, the masculine brain thinks quite differently here and women really don't understand this. And I've had many conversations with women and they just can't believe that the average young man thinks about sex every seven to eight seconds, mm. um, that we, <laughs> that we literally are battling if we're virtuous or attempting to be virtuous, we're battling with this all the time. And that it is something that this, I, I, this is, I guess this would be my bottom line regarding lust. This is one of the defining battles that either will make you a man or restrain you in boyhood. Mm. Because I think lust restrains the man in boyhood. Lust divorces love from sacrifice and sacrifice is the essence of a man. And so lust is the killer of man. It is a mm. killer of the masculine mind, will, and heart. That, so that's where I would go right there. That's kind of the canopy for me. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And honestly, it's something that um, I would agree with. And and, and not only just that, but also in my own Mm. personal soul, right? It's something that I wrestled with. When I was in high school, I was born and raised Catholic. I understood that masturbation and pornography and stuff like that were sin, even mortally sinful. My mom um, had had, uh, taught that to me and I was aware of it, yet I still fell into lust. I still fell into pornography. I still fell into those things. And I constantly wrestled with it because I didn't understand the nature that God had put in, put on my uh, heart or as a, as a young man growing up, right? That wasn't guided and formed. And I think we've fallen into this too, to the point here in society, right? Where we take a look and we see um, sexual attraction as in and of itself sinful. And we're going to go into that today in this episode. We have to, um, because God invented sex. God invented pleasure. Satan did not. And I think we just, I really want to, you know, hit that home because grace perfects nature, but we got to understand what our nature is so that we can better understand how grace can perfect it. And I think that, you know, for us in this saturated um, culture, I I just did. I kept on moving forward with this understanding or belief, if you will, that it was the greatest sin. You know, it was like, oh, it's everywhere. It's the greatest sin, but that's not the case, right? And when you look at the um, the church fathers, they're they're quiet on it. When you look at Christ in in Scripture, yes, he talks about adultery and committing, um, looking at a woman with lust, and you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. He said that, but he spent a lot more time talking about avarice and talking about greed and talking about wealth and talking about um, you know judging others and the need for forgiveness and stuff like that than he did talking about this sin, but that's not how that's not how I experienced life. And I think, Devin, you hit the nail on the head. I don't think that's how we've experienced life growing up. And so we need to we need to constantly come back to this to set this right. And Sam, I know you've got something going and I want to hear it. So yeah, well, no, and I agree completely. Like there's it's so loaded with shame that a lot of Catholics think like this is the worst sin you can commit. 
And yet you even look in like Dante's Inferno, like the people in the lowest levels of hell are not the the lustful and and the sexually sinful. Although those are grave sins, I don't want to yeah. dismiss that. But I do want to say like, you're absolutely right. There are greater sins. Now, I heard a priest say once, like there are greater sins, but like sexual sins are so easy to commit that they can mm-hmm. be especially dangerous. Yeah. So like also know like moral gravity, there are like, you know, there are grievous sins that go beyond lust, but lust is, is um, easy to fall into. And especially for us men, like you were saying, like, it's just, it, it is, it is a temptation. And, but one thing I do want to emphasize too, is like you said, John, like it is not, sex is not in and of itself sinful. And, you know, the devil can only warp and distort but there is for every distortion, for every disorder, there is a right order. Um, and for for every you know disordered view, um, sexual act, there is a healthy sexuality. And so, yes, God designed it. And I think one thing that um, I do well, maybe I'll get into this more later. But one thing I do want to emphasize is like I think this is something that. Um, the church is kind of growing into this uh, understanding that there is a unitive dimension of sex. So there used to be kind of like this mm. mindset among mm. Catholics that sex was this um, tolerated uh, thing for the purpose of procreation. I mean, I'm going to keep the species going, but in an ideal world, sex would not exist. Like we'd Mm. all be like the angels essentially, you know? And that's like, I, I disagree with that, but I picked up on that in some of the writings I've read of, 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 you know, people in past centuries where there was kind of this disdain for sexuality, human sexuality, where it's kind of like, well, this is just this animal thing, this animal impulse that we just kind of have to tolerate for now. And yet, like, if you look at St. Paul in, you know, in, in Ephesians chapter five, he compares, you know, this, this kind of wedding nuptial imagery as like the great sacrament as kind of like the culmination of the union of Christ and the church. And it's, it's, it's something that makes us a little uncomfortable sometimes, you know, because again, Mm -hmm. we have this idea that sexuality is bad completely, Um, but that's not true. So we'll get more into that, but um, yeah, fundamentally it is good. It is blessed by God um, and it brings couples closer together. Um, and again, we can kind of get into that more, but um, yeah, well, into that point, you know, before passing it over, Devin, I I wanted, I I remember hearing that today, the, basically the, this pathway of the sin of lust might be the widest, just not the deepest, you know? And so it is still something that we have to, um, address with. And another thing you said, Sam reminded me. And again, we can pick, and I, I think that maybe the silence on the on the conversation of lust does speak something. I never really thought that until you were mentioning that. But the silence in the history of maybe um, this sin or this beauty or this joy, because I did read Thomas Aquinas, and I'm going to get it wrong, but he did talk about that that pleasure or sex before the fall would have been exponentially greater because it would have been, you know, experienced without the, the damaging effects of the fall. And so that I know that that's something that's been wrestled with maybe not frequently enough and definitely not to uh, the degree that we're experiencing this stuff today. Yeah. And if I could just say one more thing, like I think one of the important things I want to emphasize is that 
sex is beautiful and sex is dangerous. Like GK Chesterton talks about that, where it's like every healthy child, when they first learn about this thing, this reality that exists between human beings, they're both kind of fascinated in awe of it, but also like, wow, that's kind of scary. Like there's like some, and, and think about it. Like there's so many things in life that kind of are that way. Right. Like uh, we go to the zoo and there's this beautiful tiger, you know, just, just an incredibly beautiful creature, these yeah. brilliant orange eyes and stripes and they, but you don't want it uh, on the other side of that wall. Right. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, or like, even like, uh, you know, you think of like a fighter jet and the incredible power those things have. And yet they need an incredibly skilled pilot to not kill somebody or kill yourself. Um, and, and so there's many things in life, but sexuality is one of those where it's like, it is incredibly beautiful. It is designed by God. And yet it has incredible power, which if it is not channeled properly, can do a tremendous amount of damage, which we see in our culture today. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that one of the great analogies for sexual attraction and sexual intercourse is it's like nuclear energy. It has the power to literally mm -hmm. give heat and electricity to hundreds of thousands of homes, if not more in a select area. But it also has the power to blow up nations and civilizations mm -hmm. for multiple generations without recovery. And so that's what's at stake. It has the power, sexual energy, sexual attraction, sexual intercourse has the power to launch us into heaven. The mystics understood this. Yeah. This is why they could understand Christ as a divine bridegroom and the sexual analogy, climax, all of that to lead into that. That's what they got. The mystics understood this. However, it's the, it's the person who doesn't understand that it's a gift from God that's meant to launch us into heaven where it implodes and launches us into hell. Because the devil, like you were saying earlier, the devil loves to hijack that energy, that nuclear energy, and use it for his own purposes to malign and redefine what God has deemed good from the beginning. And I agree, you know, like even reading St. Thomas Aquinas on this, it was like the idea is that sexual intercourse is just barely acceptable. You know, <laughs> like it's just barely yes. acceptable because it is a sacrament, you know, because it's about the inseparability of the couple. Well, I think John Paul II in his theology body and other theologians have brought us a long way since then. However, yeah. from the very beginning, from the very beginning, God said, it is not good that man be alone. In fact, the Hebrew word is abadad, which literally means bad. Bad, yeah. It, it's the only time God said in the creation account that anything was bad. What was bad? That man be alone. And then he gives man the command, be fruitful and multiply, which means that the way to be fruitful and multiply is sexual intercourse, which means sexual intercourse is good and he created it to be pleasurable. And so this is where the great battle is. Just as temperance with food and wine or, or alcohol is, is that great battle in terms of that, we have continence, I guess, you know, not incontinence yeah. as far as going to the bathroom and all that. Right. I'm talking right, about right. continence, don't need the, the restraint depends. and the redemption of your sexual appetite. This is the battle. Because if we can channel this energy, we will have incredible relationships with the opposite sex. We'll have incredible relationships with our wife, and we can truly set this world on fire. And the church desperately needs men who are living this out.
Yeah, Devin, I want to actually spend a little bit more time talking about the theology and the, the nature of man, right? Because I do think that so much is revealed in that point of, of when God was having kind of like a, an exchange with himself when he was, we, we get a little uh, sign of his um, self-reflection when he was talking, you know, you know, and God said to, you know, himself that it is not good for man to be right. alone, right? Like he was, he was just realizing the union and love that he had um, with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and and how man in and of himself couldn't be completed and and achieve the fullness of what yes. it means to be a man without that unity. And I think this was a this was um, this was transformative for me when I learned this. And I'm, we're talking about years and years and years of rejecting pornography, rejecting masturbation, rejecting and fighting and fighting and fighting, but never having an understanding to fill it with. So, Devin, I'd like to hear from you just a little bit more about the theology of man and the theology of how God created us uh, to be. Yeah, I, I, I think it's great. And I think that we absolutely need to go here because it's fundamental to our understanding of sexual intercourse, sexual attraction, and the goodness of it all. So, when God says, let us make man in our image and likeness, there's a divine we there. Now, that, as you said, that divine we hints at his own identity, God's own identity, that God is an inter uh, exchange of love, an exchange of persons, three persons who are either so self-giving that they are one or one and they are self-giving. You know, the father gives himself completely to the son. The son gives himself completely to the father in perpetuity. And between them is this life and love and, and uh, of the Holy Spirit. So there's this exchange. There is three in one. And then God says, let us make man in our image and likeness. And so this means that God, when he creates man, he's saying, I'm going to impart something of my character into humanity when I create it. It's going to be in my image, in my likeness. And so how does he do it? He doesn't just create man with intellect, well, will, passions. He mm. creates a man and a woman. And why? Because, because this is what God is in himself. He wants to reflect in humanity. God wants to reflect, reveal uh, himself in humanity. So he creates man and woman with sexual complementarity, sexual difference. And that difference matters because complementarity leads to communion. So in God, there is there are like basically three attributes, distinction, unity, fruitfulness, three distinct mm -hmm. persons, unity in the Holy Spirit. They are one God. And then fruitfulness, life, love, bliss, rapture, ecstasy, creativity, power, all of that is unleashed. So then God says, I'm going to put those three attributes in humanity. So I create distinct persons, man, woman, hetero, not homo, hetero. And, and then he calls them through that sexual complementarity toward communion, unity, mm -hmm. one flesh union, yes, and also spiritually. And then from that unity, there is a third. There is a life. And that is that love and bliss and, and life-giving love that's expressed and it becomes manifest in an incarnate way or in a way that's fleshly. So this is the plan of God. And so it isn't an accident that God says, I want you to participate in sexual intercourse. It isn't an accident that it is pleasurable because that height of climax and that tenderness and that embrace and that oneness in its truest sense and form 
truly is a hint, a glimmer, a foreshadowing of the bride, the church's union with God. This is what we're made for. We're made to actually hand over ourselves completely to God and give ourselves completely to God, in God, and God is going to come into us without shame, and all will be one in all. All will be all in the all of God. Yeah. This is the plan. This is why he did this. And if if we don't reclaim this, which I think a lot of people are, they are reclaiming this. John Paul II yeah. leads the charge. Thanks be to God, the church will be renewed and restored. Yeah. And Sam, I want to, but right before we jump in, I just want to add, I read um, Peter Kraft once. He mentioned that um, Freud, Freud got it wrong, right? It wasn't a lack of sex that created God. It is actually in sex that we can truly find God when we, yes. when we understand it rightly. And so I, I love that. Sam, please. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think this is incredibly important. Like, and to understand that sexual distinction was not necessary. God could have made us androgynous, mm -hmm. you know, and, and created some other form of reproduction, you know. Uh, and yet there's a sense in which there was a, a deep, profound meaning, as Devin was talking about, about um, why there is a sexual dis distinction. And I think one of the important things to understand is, you know, I believe that one of the key purposes of creation was for us to learn how to give and receive love. Separation is always for the purpose of reintegration, reunion. And I think when you look at men and women, they're incredibly different. Yes, they're complementarity, but men and women are incredibly different. And if there were no difference, there would probably be no sexual attraction, right? It's actually that distinction, that difference that brings the attraction. It's like mm -hmm. magnets, right? Like yep. if you have two magnets that are the same, they're just kind of uh, the same polarity. They push each other away. But when you have the positive and the negative, <laughs> they snap right together. And, and But the purpose of that, I think, is for us to learn to love the three purposes of marriage, you know, traditionally procreation, uh, traditionally unification, but really it's sanctification as well. You've got procreation, unification, and sanctification. And especially for us men in this area of sexual attraction, this is, my marriage has been incredible for purifying me of my lustful passions. I was mm, telling amen. John, you know, I, I remember after I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I didn't have any idea of what the church really taught regarding a lot of things. And I remember going to confession very early on, uh, one of my first times, and I said to the priest who is now a bishop, and I said, well, I, I'm i I'm really trying not to lust for anyone, any women except for my wife. And he just looked at me and said, you are not to lust after your wife. I'm like, oh, okay, got it, got it, right? So it's like, Bingo, you know, okay, game on. You've got to be a man. And so I think, though, it would be really good for us um, to explain to the men, our audience here, like, what is, what are the, like, John, you hinted toward it, the idea of lust on one hand or incontinence, and then you've got insensibility on the other hand. But what is that golden mean? And I, I think 
because that's what we're really striving for. Mm. Because if you have like, let's say you have a chart and you have a horizontal line, a diagram on this side, you have excess, which is lust. It's, it's basically unrestrained, uh, sexual, uh, gratification or using another for your sexual disordered, sexual graphic gratification. On the other hand, you have repression and insensibility and unwillingness to even acknowledge the beauty of a, of a human being. Okay. So, so how do we get to the center, which is the place of virtue, the golden mean, the hard work, what is that center? And, you know, I put it out to you guys, I've got my opinions, but I'd love to hear what you guys think about that. Well, um, you've got, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And eventually you'll have two eyes plucked out and you won't have, no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, (laughs) I think it's beautiful. Sam, Sam, you seem to, you seem to have something that you wanted to add. So I'd love to hear from you. I don't want to jump in. Me? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Lust, let me let's just start with the definition of what lust is, because it's yeah. such a common word. It's yeah. thrown around so much, and we don't really define it very well sometimes. But I think it's, it's, it's two things that I, I I think define lust, at least in my understanding of it. One is an inordinate desire to possess that which is not yours. So you're walking mm-hmm. down the street, and you see a beautiful woman, and you like, let's say your mind drifts into fantasies about her. She's not yours. Like she's, she, you have no right to be thinking about her in that way. Now it's interesting what, what Devin said, um, of what the Bishop said about not lusting after your wife. So, so on the one hand, we have like lust as an inordinate desire to possess that, which is not yours, essentially covetousness mm-hmm. for these women where it's like, you want to own them. You want to possess them and you want to use them as like some sort of object. Like to me, that's lustful. Right. Um, and, Second, though, is putting pleasure over the person Mm. where, yes, pleasure Mm. is a part of sexuality. I don't want to shame pleasure. Pleasure is good. God designed pleasure. But when we put that as the supreme end over the person, that's where lust enters into me. Um, Because this can can be very much the case in marriage. I, I don't mean to be crude here. But your wife is not a blow-up doll. Like you're not, she's not there for you to just use her as like an object of masturbation. Like that's Mm, mm. that's sinful. That's lustful. That's an abuse of your wife and then a complete erasure of her as a living person. Um, and so to me, that's where lust enters into marriage is treating your wife as an object for your pleasure and your gratification rather than as a person uh, with whom you seek communion. Yes, pleasurable communion, yes. But the person comes first. Um, so that's kind of how I see that. Now, the the, the other end of that, of, of repression, you know, yeah, just denying the purpose of sex, the value of sex, like the beauty of sexuality, the beauty of the human body and human person, like that is also uh, distorted. But I think what the golden mean is, is because sex is precious, because your wife is precious, you treat it with due care and reverence. This is not something that is just casual, you know, I'm just feeling the itch, like I got to scratch that, you know, like it's not that. Um, again, it's an ever, like you're, you're trying to purify your sexuality and make it more and more loving, if that makes sense. Because men, 
left to ourselves, we can be beasts. You know, we can, yeah. you know, and there's all kinds of uh, imagery and jokes about that in pop culture. Um, you know, but, but left, we need to transcend that animal level of just um, bestial uh, intercourse and strive higher and higher for to purify our loving relationship with that person. You know, it's interesting that human beings are the, some of the only creatures in the animal kingdom. Yes, we do have kind of like an animal nature in our, our human body that are always on in the procreative sense. Other yeah. animals have to wait for certain seasons of the year or like wait till she's in heat or whatever. But the rest of the year, they don't uh, want to have intercourse. Isn't that fascinating? Like Man, that would be, how a, much that would be a bummer. Would our life be if that's how it works, right? <laughs> or animals. <laughs> but like, again, the purpose of that is purification. Like yeah. we we're, we're always on so that we can always be learning to channel and harness this towards that end of, of, of love. Um, and not yeah. just gratification. So anyway. Yeah, just beautiful, Sam. I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. I would say that there's a couple points that we keep on coming back to, and I feel like it's important to, to bring them up again, is that sexual attraction was created by God, right? He said, be fruitful and multiply. And by that, he didn't mean go sit down and learn your math. And and, uh, and then he also <laughs> didn't create <laughs> man <bad>. and woman. <laughs> then he also, <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's a dad joke, right? Oh, man. Um, and then he, also, <laughs> then he also, he didn't create us, like you had said earlier, uh, Sam, I think near the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that, you know, that he created us to procreate in the way that sexual intercourse is. It was, we're not, there's not babies, you know, as plants or anything like that, right? It is, it's something that the actual act was created by God. And again, man, just that's so important is to understand that sexual attraction is from God and is of God and is good. But we are talking about now how to rightly order that and stay on that path. And I think that in our culture, and we have to be honest about this, just bringing this back here, our culture has conditioned us to see all things as of in the sexual attraction as, as lustful, you know, that, you know, it's, it's not given to us by God. Right. And, and we kind of have reversed this. And, and today we also see that anything sexual attraction is somehow inherently erotic, you know, it like, it just has to, we don't know how to respond to that. We're either, it's, we're either taught to be afraid of it, to, you know, fight against it with all your will or to mate, you know, or to, to, to move forward with it. And I think that, yeah, exactly. And, and, um, and I think that's so important and it's not easy. And I think you guys are getting at this, right? It's not easy, right. To find this golden mean. And that's where I was when, when you, when you asked that question is just like, we have been, and we still are uh, healing from this in our lives, even if we understand it uh, rightly. And hopefully this podcast is helping you, um, any of our listeners to, and ourselves included, to understand this a little bit more rightly um, because we do. And I would say that this idea of completely being afraid of it, right? Joy is a part of life. The Holy Ghost can grant us joy. And this pleasure is something that he has granted us when used for God and used with God. And, and it's it points to our eternal reward in heaven for those of us who strive for virtue and live a virtuous life. And again, St. Paul even brought up, um, you know, I, I uh, what I will, you know, what that is evil, which I do not will, I find myself doing. He said that in Romans. And, and so it's, it's a very real reality. But at the same time, we have to give all over to Christ. And I think, I think um, that's where I'm going to finish with is just um, 
giving all over to Christ and and the importance mm-hmm. of that. This is blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What is the end goal? And I know I'm going all over the place here, but what is the end goal is to see God. Blessed are the pure of heart is how we get there. But at the same time, we know that uh, Christ is the only way. And so not only is Christ the end, but he's also the means at which we get there. Blessed are the pure of heart. Christ will make us pure. We put all things to God and in and, and all of that we are doing and to experience that pleasure and experience that joy is done with Christ, for Christ, by Christ, you know, um, and into the into that end goal. And so I do, but I'm not I'm not ignoring the fact that temptation is fully upon us. And there are a lot of things that we can be doing to help ourselves with temptation. And so Devin, I'd love to to pivot it to you and get your thoughts yeah, on. Bless I on love that. it. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God through the human person. Mm. How can we love the God we cannot see? If we do not love the neighbor that we can see, and that neighbor includes women and our wives. And so here's what I, I think that there's something very interesting going on in this excess of lust, defect of insensibility. Let me give you an example of insensibility. I heard the story of a beautiful woman on a Catholic campus who, when she would walk by, guys would instinctively just look down in a way. Mm. And finally, she was so fed up with it because she wanted to be seen. The guys just wouldn't even look at her because they were so fearful of sinning that they couldn't even see her. I I was just on relevant radio the other night and a woman called in and said, I hate being beautiful Mm. because, because guys will either, you know, use her, look at her with a a lustful gaze, or they will just turn away and pretend she doesn't exist. Mm. So here's what we've got. We've got on one end, we've got, the disorder of uh, Jesus says, whoever looks upon a woman with lust, he commits adultery in his heart. So then you want to go to the sin of insensibility. You just don't want to look. I I don't want to look because I'm afraid I'm going to look at a woman with lust. So Jesus says, don't look. That's what we interpret it. Mm, But then, but then he says to Simon, the Pharisee, when the woman who's probably a prostitute comes off the street, barges in at dinner, and is literally kissing Jesus's feet. He says, Simon, do you see her? Mm. Now, here's the key. We are called as real men, the manly men, the men who are trying to live virtuously, is that we're called to balance this. On one hand, we're called to, and this is the key with sexual attraction. It's a, it's a matter of justice. It is what we owe women. We owe women to see them without lusting after them, to be able to see them like Simon couldn't, but to be able to look at them without lust. That's the connection of the gospel. And Jesus did it with the Samaritan woman. Jesus did it with the adulterous woman. Jesus did it time and time again. And he said, hey, real men, I want to be in you through the Eucharist. I want to live in you so that you can do what I did. So you can look upon another woman without lust, but see her human person being expressed in and through her body and affirm that beauty. That's what God wants. I want to talk about literally um, sexual temptation and lust. And unfortunately, that that gap between the two is is surprisingly close and easy to go over. And yeah. and so I do think it's important to spend just a moment and talk about sexual temptation. Men, sexual temptation is not lust. It is not sinful, right? right? God made us 
to be men who experience sexual attraction to the opposite sex, to women. We are called to focus it to a woman, but still love her as God loves her. And at the same time, though, this temptation to see a woman and to start, I think, uh, Sam, you said fantasize. Yeah, to start fantasizing about her, undressing her with your eyes, thinking about committing adultery with her, that in and of itself is absolutely sinful and can be grave. And it can be grave and fascinating enough. And of course, we all understand that it can be grave. But I remember also reading Thomas Aquinas, who who argued that it can be grave because it doesn't put forth the... Um, the offspring or the life of the child as a potential end and therefore as a sin against humanity, as a sin against human life and all sins against human human life um, are mortal. But the point is to getting off is that you will experiencing temptations and that is great. I'm going to just, that means your sexual <laughs> attraction is working, right? That means that, that you are, that it, the benefits of temptation. And I just, I bring it up, you know, uh, first off, you're never going to get away from it. As Job said, you know, man's life on earth is temptation as we have um, imitations of Christ, you know, as, as Thomas Akempis said, as long as we live in this world, we cannot be without temptation temptations and tribulations. And then again, he said, fire tries iron and temptation adjust man. It is by these temptations that we can then prove ourselves mm -hmm. and our love for God. And if we never have temptations, I remember hearing it said that temptation is a friend to the faithful because it allows us to be reminded and point ourselves towards that higher good. And not just live in some sort of static, you know, um, uh, um, stag stagnant place in life, but something that is always moving forward to our higher good. Devin, you, you have something well, I could, or, or, could see. Origin, origin, I think it was Origin on his commentary on Exodus said, if you are not being tempted, it's a certain sign that you are going to hell. Oh, there it is. <laughs> that is temptation uh, tries a just man. And then the reverse of that is if you're not being tempted, right? Yeah. yeah. If you've, if you've become so blind to temptation, so, so, um, saturated yeah. by, by sin and that, and I think Sam, and I know we just don't have enough time, but you talked about lust and defining lust. Cause I do think we get lust wrong too. You know, we, we start seeing lust as we pigeonhole lust into just, fantasizing and committing adultery with her, you know, in our, in our eyes, but that's not, that's not it. Or we get the reverse of it is like, you know, well, I lust for learning and I lust for, you know, <laughs> good food and stuff like that. And that's just no, a misunderstanding no. of what we're talking about. So anyway, Sam, yeah, you were going to say. Well, yeah, I was just going to say that, that I think to me, purity, we talk about this, this idea of purity um, as to me, it exists in the will alone yeah. uh, now when you lost that for someone there might be a lot of things going on right like there might be hormones there might be uh neurochemicals being released you know and there might be even your imagination is engaged um and some of that can happen completely automatically i think biologically we're wired to notice skin you know it's like driving down the freeway and all of a sudden this bright red ferrari drives by and you're like mm. whoa that's a nice car you know yeah and it's like the same for with women where it's like unfortunately there's a lot of immodestly dressed women out there right so yeah. like you see someone walk in, in uh, into walmart in like super short shorts or you're at the beach and someone's got like a really revealing like swimsuit on and your eyes are just like whoop, you know and it's like 
that is not in and of itself sinful. I don't believe again, it's yeah. just kind of at this yeah. level of like, I'm seeing an objectively beautiful thing. Right. And, and I, I want to be careful here, but like, maybe even those wheels of imagination start turning. But as soon as you become aware of that happening, what do you do with that? What yeah. does your will choose to do? Oh my goodness. I'm having impure thoughts about her. Do I continue to fantasize about that, indulge in that, go ahead along down that route? Or do I say, nope, stop, you know, redirect back to her as a person. Um, uh, and so I guess what I'm saying is like, there's an involuntary aspect of like your eyes gravitating towards skin, but what does your will do with that? Do you stop there? Do you again, like say some prayer that acknowledges, you know, her beauty as a daughter of God uh, and, you know, or do you and choose to indulge and fantasize? So to me, it's all about the will. What does the will choose to do in that moment? Yeah. And that really determines purity versus impurity, temptation versus not. Because temptation, yeah, like you said, is actually a good sign. It means that there's something in you that's resisting the attraction of whatever the temptation is offering to you, the pleasure of imagining some sexual scene with this woman, you know, like that's what's being held out to you. What do you do with that? You know, and then your will's like, no, I reject that, you know, and, and like, there's going to be resistance there, but like that act of the will determines whether or not, it, you know, you're engaged in impurity or not. A yeah. sin or not, uh, yeah. And so I would, I would really kind of bring it down to that level. So Sam, I'm really grateful for you saying about this idea of redirecting, right? When those temptations come, because temptations will come, right? They always do, as we talked about earlier. But I also want to talk about what can we, what can we put in our mind? Because what you're talking about is this difference between this interior reaction or interior temptation and exterior temptation, right? And that exterior temptation, an attractive woman that um, that uh, presents herself in, in whatever way uh, that we notice. And, and what do we do? And I wanted to dialogue briefly just about what can we put into the mind? And I, I turned to um, Dom Lorenzo Scupoli in his spiritual combat uh, to, to dialogue about that because in the spiritual combat, he talks about the importance of mental prayer and the importance of putting in a more positive mental image. He suggests using Christ's suffering and passion and put that in, in our head. And I know we've talked about a little bit about Our Lady and finding uh, that purity in Our Lady and talking to her about that. But I do want to help our listeners understand that there, there is something more proactive um, than, sure, we're aware that temptations will come, we're aware that temptations aren't sinful, but... What can we put in our mind that can help re redirect, as you were saying, Sam, and fill it with, with thoughts of God and fill it with thoughts of Christ? Something else that Don Lorenzo, and you miss this if you don't mm. pay close attention when you're reading this section in Spiritual Combat, is that he says, when the temptations return, as they will, and oftentimes even greater than the first temptation, he, he tells you not to overexert and assert sort of a rejection of that, but rather expect it and ignore it and keep your mind focused on Christ and keep your mind focused mentally and in your imagination on Christ because those things will happen. And so I just, maybe you guys have some other thoughts about ways to, um, what to put into the mind when, you know, these thoughts or these potential fantasies uh, um, present themselves to us. And Devin, I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts on that. <clears throat> 
Well, I think that, yeah, it's great to flood the mind or the soul with holy thoughts uh, during these times of temptation. But let's face it, that is, like Sam said, that is the will. So you cannot sin without deciding to sin. And so there is this nanosecond. It's like uh, the it's just the minimal part of a second in which we move from not sinning to sinning mm, in this area. Mm-hmm. And, and this is very important, even though this is not the worst of sins, nor is it the sin that in a sense gets us to the deepest level of hell. Our lady of Fatima did say that there are more souls in hell for this reason than any other sin. So that's how prevalent it is. Okay. Sins of the flesh. So what can we do? What can we put in? What can we do to offset this terrible scourge? For me, one of the things that really helped me early on was to actually focus on the feeling of defeat Mm. after I fell. And this isn't just going into despair. Okay. This is going in, holding our lady's hand, you know, walking in there with the Lord into that dark place and actually resting in that feeling of failure. And so what I would encourage every guy to do is after you have failed in this area, write down how you feel, Mm. write it down, put it in a journal somewhere, somewhere locked away where nobody can find it because that feeling of failure is what you want to focus on when you're tempted toward the pleasure the next time. Because what's going on here is the fact that we're even fighting against this demonstrates that we have the will to win. It demonstrates that we have the will to be victorious and be real men. And so the one thing that real men don't want to do is they don't want to lose. They don't want to fail. And so for me, just remembering how gross and how icky and how boyish I felt when I lusted, when I failed, really helped me to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help right now because I want to win. And it it is it, it, so it's like, it, it was like this for getting up in the morning, you know, like I, I always hated when I slept in in the morning, you know, I always hated how I felt afterwards. I ruined my day. And so that feeling alone was enough to get me to get up in that heroic moment when the alarm went off, right? So I think that that's the first thing is is to really understand, focus on how you used to feel when you failed so that you won't want that feeling again. I think think the second thing, St. Thomas Aquinas has like these four ways, um, you know, flee uh, from it, you know, so run from the temptation, don't give an opening to the temptation. So, and then he also talks about prayer and he also talks about um, staying busy. I think all that's good. But for me, just calling on Our Lady and saying, and this is where, and I I know guys, we all want to be men. We all want to beat our chest and be really strong. But I turn to Our Lady and I say, look, I've got a sword here that I can't lift, but I've got to lift it. So I need you to lift it with me to slay this, this demon. And so I just ask her to hold my hand and to deliver me from it. And she always does. She always does. And I think the reason for this is why are we lusting? Why is God permitting the temptation of lust? This is super important. If we understand this, we understand what we're up against. As you said, John, lust is down on the rung as far as the capital sins, yeah. right? It's it's down on the ladder. God is allowing us to wrestle with the temptation of lust because he wants to purify us of a much deeper sin. And okay. usually, usually it's linked to vainglory. 
Yep. The reason why we lust is because we're desiring vainglory. And, and let me connect this for you. When we lust, we're saying, I deserve that. Or I wish to apprehend that I have a right to that. Even though we would never say that, that's exactly what we're thinking subconsciously, which is vainglory. Mm -hmm. So God wants to purify us. That's why we need, need to go to the Blessed Mother and humiliate ourselves, yes. humble ourselves, say, look, I have no power over this. And that's where God will deliver us through our Blessed Mother from that humiliation because we are actually acting humbly. And that's what destroys vainglory or, or overcomes it. So there's a lot. We could go on and on and on. I could talk about the Eucharist, daily mass, all these things. But I think for now, that's where I would go with it. Yeah. Well, men, we're at the point in the episode now where we get to shift and talk about the question. But before we get there, if you liked what we were talking about today and you want to go um, – uh, double and deeper into it. We go into that in the Catholic Gentleman Plus. You can head over to the Catholic Gentleman Plus, uh, sign up for a subscription. It supports the Catholic Gentleman, helps us reach more men. Uh, but in addition, you're going to get uh, longer episodes every week and all of those themes that we talked about um, uh, earlier in the episode at the beginning. So uh, the question this week uh, is a great question, and it's one uh, that we actually are trying to answer by the very nature of this podcast on a weekly basis. And so I'm going to play that question right now. <laughs> we can we can listen to it, and then we'll uh, dialogue. How can I become more secure in my God-given masculinity in relationship with my spouse in her femininity? I've been tempted with same-sex attraction in the past, and I'm always looking for further clarity. That's a good question. And in this idea of security in our God-given masculinity, and then he takes it to the next step, this listener, and says, especially in our my relationship with my spouse or my wife in her femininity, and how do we um how do we uh, increase that security? And I will just repeat what I was saying is that really it, there's not going to be a silver bullet in this uh, this answers here. This is uh, the work of a lifetime and the work of virtues and the work of um, learning, honestly, because the more that we uh, learn and we stimulate the intellect, like we're talking about, the easier it becomes. And then we can, uh, when the substitutes start presenting themselves in our neighbors and in other people and how they're living their lives or how the world is trying to tell you, you should be um, basically equal in all ways you can easily reject them without some sort of emotion because you have that knowledge. You are resting confident in that knowledge of it. So um, I'll turn it over to you first, Devin, and get your thoughts on um, this question in particular and what comes to mind. Well, what comes to mind to me is I've written like 20 books on this topic. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh my gosh, really? Um uh. Now, I, I think that first thing, the first principle I would apply to this, if it was me, is personal transformation leads to relational transformation. If I want to see the, and by the way, the most difficult thing that you will ever do in your life is relationship. And the most difficult and challenging and rewarding relationship you will ever have is marriage with your wife. So, so relationship particularly with your wife, is like heroic. 
But personal transformation leads to relational transformation. So if we're looking for security in being a man, we have to develop that personally first, right? Yes, a woman. Okay, so this is a, another second principle is that your wife cannot make you a man. Mm-hmm. but assuming sacrificial responsibility for her, God will make you a man through her. Okay. Very important. So don't look to your wife for her to affirm you or tell you how great you are or laud you and make you feel like a man that will never fill that need. That's right. It has to come from within, from your relationship with God, that personal transformation that leads to relational transformation, that security, that insecurity, masculine insecurity, simply comes back to a lack of security in my divine sonship and in my brotherhood with Christ. So that's where I would focus personally. And I'm just going to just give two things here. The whole goal or the whole purpose of prayer, the Christian life, everything that you do is twofold. Know Jesus, become like Jesus. Know Jesus, become like Jesus. Jesus is the son who trusts His ministry is a total failure. He's hanging on the cross. He has no power before Pilate. Herod, at least he in his humanity, he assumes no power. He is on the cross, powerless. His whole ministry is a failure. And yet he trusts. That is sonship. So for me, I cling to that cross when I feel like a failure. I cling to that cross when I feel insecure. And I say, yes, I am failing. Yes, I'm the things I'm doing aren't great, but Lord, I'm going to hang here with you. I'm going to remain with you as you tell me to remain with you. And we're going to get through this and you're going to glorify me. That if you do that over and over again in your life, you will become a great son of God. You will know Jesus. You will become like Jesus because you trust. That's where all the security comes from. Yeah. I think there's a few dimensions here that we could look at briefly. First of all, is this issue of your relationship with your spouse. How can you grow in masculinity with your spouse? And I would just say simply um, be assertive, lead, set the tone, um, not in a pushy way or in a, you know, in a way that's insensitive to your spouse, but, but propose, you know, ideas, suggestions, Um, lead the way in your family's spiritual life, lead your way, uh, lead the way in maybe addressing issues that are developing in your marriage. Like be the first one to broach that topic. Don't wait for her to say, you know, honey, I'm concerned about this. You know, like, no, you take the lead um, and assert yourself. And I think one of the dimensions of masculinity is assertion. You, um, excuse me, you act first. Don't wait. Don't wait for her to lead. And I think women resent men uh, who aren't leading. Um, and women sometimes have to step up, uh, and say, you know, honey, like we need to be doing this. Like, I'm really concerned about this with the kids or like, you know, our finances are spinning out of control. And like women sometimes have to step up and do that, but they're never happy about it. They want (laughs) the man to be setting the tone. And so I would encourage you to be doing that in your marriage. Think of it like a dance. Like the man is kind of leading the moves and the woman is following that. Like you be the leader in your relationship. Second, I would say, um, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but you know, you mentioned that there's this dimension of like same-sex attraction that you've struggled with or things like that. I think in our um, American culture, especially, sometimes things can get a little caricatured where sometimes if a man is sensitive, a man appreciates beauty or, or 
um, is a good listener or things like that. And they're like, well, you must be gay, you know? And if you look at like mm. the arts community, it's like, like 90% gay or something like that. And it's like, yeah. and if you look at more traditional cultures, that's actually not the way it is. Men are much more comfortable with emotions, much more comfortable with sensitivity to beauty and things like that. I mean, if you think about like France, like half the guys are like, you know, florists or something. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> but American culture, it's like, you got to be this rugged individualist. You have to be this gym rat. You have to have a giant pickup, you know, like, and just realize that that's a caricature, but also realize that even if your predisposition mm. is towards sensitivity or listening or relating or things like that. Some people are born with that predisposition. You're still called to push yourself into uncomfortable territory and do the things that don't come naturally to you. I think that like those hyper hyper masculine men that we can think of that maybe are like ripped or you're shredded, you know, and like are just, they take charge of uh, the conversation anytime they walk in the room, you know, they just, they're just kind of like that man's man. Those guys really need to learn to be more sensitive, to learn to be more uh, mm -hmm. attuned to other the impact that their behavior has on other people. They need to have those rough edges sanded down, you know, and, and they have to grow in that way, in their ability to listen to others, receive what others are saying, things like that. Because those guys can hurt a lot of people uh, if they don't learn how to do that. But likewise, like the, the, the guys that are more intellectual, the guys that are more sensitive, the guys that are more artistic, they also have to develop that masculine side, right? Like they have to be, learn to be more assertive. Sometimes they need to learn to be aggressive in a healthy way. Like sometimes they need to like step up and, and assert themselves instead of just allowing themselves to be a doormat. Um, and, and so I think all of all that to say, seek to be a well-rounded man and develop those areas that are uncomfortable for you. Um, and, and lastly, I would say, um, if you are struggling with same-sex attraction, that's been something that it, you've been wrestling with. Um, I would say that there's, there's, there's no shame in that. We all have our different struggles in this regard. But what I would say is look at what was happening in your life when your sexual self was coming online, like those preteen years, teen years, where you, know, you're, you're, you were going through puberty or things like that. Um, what was going on in your life? What was your relationship like with your father? What was your relationship like with your mother? What was your relationship like with your peers? Because often the same-sex attraction is rooted in these uh, wounds of attachment where uh, you know we we didn't get certain things that we needed at different points in our life. And it, it kind of, uh, as our sexual self was coming online, it kind of warped those attractions in ways uh, that can be healed. And I want to give you hope in that regard. And it sounds like you may already be experiencing some of that, but just know that it's, it's not a lifelong, you know, sentence, but that it's something that you can heal and work through just like any other issue in, in our lives. Like God wants to heal us, but just look, uh, explore a little deeply, those different dimensions of your life. And I think it, it could lead to some, some fruitful inner work and in, in healing. Yeah, that's just excellent. I love it when Sam, you're counseling self comes out that <laughs> I think we can all hear that and we can all um, benefit from that, um, regardless of where we're at currently in our lives, uh, to go back and to, to be aware of those things. 
So as both the men have already stated, this is such a complex um, uh, question in the sense that there's so many different ways that that we can come at it. And we do frequently throughout these episodes, uh, Sam having written a book and Devin written multiple books. Um, but one of, a couple of things that I wanted to just uh, bring up when I hear this question is, um, and you compare, you despair. When you look to the rest of the world, when you look to other people to show you what it means to be a man, you're going to be disappointed either in yourself or in the options that are given. And so we have to go back to understand what our identity is as a man. What does it mean to be a son of God? What, is it, what does it mean to actually be a husband, right? And one of the things that I think the world gets so wrong is that they don't understand that first we have to be a son, and then often we're a brother, and then we have to become a man before we're really a good husband, right? There's an order to these different things. Now, if you're a husband and you're starting to realize, I never really understood what it meant to be a man, that's okay. There's some work to be done there, but understanding where our nature is is going to be incredibly important. The second side of that is understanding what it means to be a woman in the feminine nature. I think that is so mm -hmm. important. I'm just going to use one example that comes to me is that when I learned that women have 25% more connective tissue between the right and left brain, and that also causes them to think in a circular manner, right? Um, it actually was liberating for me, and I found myself appreciating my wife all the more in my dialogues with her because I realized that as she's going in this circular manner, which is contrary to me, she's living out her femininity. And so the more that we understand about the female and uh, a woman's femininity and her nature as a woman and what she needs from us and what we have within ourselves to give to her, as uh, Sam was mentioning, as Devin was mentioning, um, the easier and the more beautiful it is within that marital uh, structure and then the final thing that I'm going to say is that constant, um, as Devin brought up in a previous episode, that in uh, communication builds communion. And then that open dialogue with our wife about where we're at, what we're struggling with. I have this conversation with my wife frequently. I've been married for 13, almost 14 years. We have this conversation all of the time of what I'm struggling with, what I'm trying to protect her with. And I'll even say, I'm trying to protect you from this. I'm trying to, I don't want to bring this up. Or if she starts asking me a question about my day, and I know that whatever I tell her is going to affect affect her feminine emotions far deeper than they uh, affect me, I'll just say, you know, sweetie, it was a, it was an okay day. It was, it was a day I'm blessed to have, have work and, you know, but let's not worry about that or something along those lines. And she now knows because we've mm -hmm. communicated about it earlier. So, and in that communication, we're all pointing to communion in Christ. We're all pointing to communion in God, right? And I think it was Fulton Sheen who talked about, you know, if we look to each other to to heal each other, if we look to each other to be the savior of each other, we'll be, you know, um, incredibly disappointed. But if we're always looking to God, we're always going to grow closer. And then uh, the grace that comes upon us as as a man who is secure and as a woman who is growing in her security and her love and that beauty that can um, ensue because of all of that uh, just just um, becomes the, the example that the world needs to see and that the world lacks. Um, so those are the thoughts that come to my mind when uh, thinking about this subject. And so just really grateful for that question and stay tuned in other episodes where in a way we're going to be talking about that question and all of them and what it means to be a man and the struggles that we face. So 
Uh, so to finish each episode, we love to challenge men. We love to put on the new man. And so we do have a challenge this week that's going to be right in line with our um, with our topic today. That's topic of lust or sexual temptations. And so remember, sexual desires, sexual attraction is something that is built within your heart, created by God. But what do we do when temptation sets on? And so we kind of broke it down between married men and single men. And so um, for married men, uh, specifically when our wives are not, you know, open to uh, sexual intercourse, what do we do in those situations? Devin, I'd love to hear you speak <laughs> well, to the challenge. Well, because it happens to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? There was no, there was no tactful way that I Let's could think of in expert. my brain. Let's go to the expert. Pass that off. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So, so, so basically, um, this is what I recommend. Yeah. That desire that we have, like you said, is authentic. It's God-given, but it is a power in us that can really cause us to be resentful if we don't channel it. It can cause us to blame our wives if we don't channel it properly. And so this is the key. There's two things. One, when you go to Mass, whether it's Sunday or daily, you are receiving the God-man, Jesus Christ, in you. And it's very interesting. He says in the mass, he says, this is my body given up for you. And that Latin word in the Latin mass, forgiven is tradatur, which literally means an exchange, to give, to exchange, trade. So I'm got Christ say, I'm giving you my body so that you can do what I'm doing, which is this is my body given up for you. So I recommend <clears throat> when you are lusting or you're tempted to lust for your wife and you want to engage in sexual intercourse and she does not, you offer yourself, St. Paul says in Romans 12, offer yourself as a holy, offer your body, your body as a holy and living sacrifice unto the Lord. This is your spiritual worship. Notice that what's the spiritual worship? Yes, it's mass, but it's what you receive from mass. Christ himself is sacrifice in you so that you can sacrifice in your body for your wife. And so lay yourself, I mean, not literally, but in a sense, lay yourself down on the altar of your bed and the prayer is, this is my body given up for you. And Amen. you give that to the Lord. You're trading in your lust. You're trading in your desire so that your wife can be stress-free, so that your wife doesn't feel used. And you know what's so beautiful about this? Over time, when you do this, though your wife isn't quite fully aware of this, she's going to intuit what you're doing. She's going to get it, that you're denying yourself for her sake. And this puts her at ease. Mm -hmm. She actually now will, it, it, it's basically communicating to her. She's thinking, wow, he is not using me. He does not want something from me. He actually desires me. Mm -hmm. He actually desires what is best for me. And that, my friends, is when that woman will be more inclined to reciprocate your sexual advances, properly speaking, in the future. That's not why we do it. Yeah. But that is the beneficial outcome of that. So I just, me, I pray off. I, this is my body given up for you, Lord. I'm in union with you. I give it up for her that she may be free, that she will not feel used and objectified. This is for our marriage and for our children. And I'm telling you what, it, it works. <laughs> it's done great things for our marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Both sexually no, I, and not sexually. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I appreciate that very much. And, uh, and so, I also want to 
challenge men, yes, for the next seven days, but also long term, you know, married men, that this is how we should be acting. And, you know, let's start with the next seven days and these opportunities and these situations as they present themselves. And then for single men, Sam, I want to talk to you about that single men who see attractive women, what is a prayer that they can go to, we want to challenge men uh, to to turn to prayer for her. And, um, and how would you suggest we go about doing that, Sam? You just give thanks for her beauty. Uh, when you feel that uh, ache of, of like wanting to commune with another person in that way, just realize you're, you're longing for connection. Often you're longing for affirmation for, um, yeah, just that physical pleasure and things like that. But also um, I would encourage you to kind of turn inward, turn it, turn it into kind of like a monastic experience in the sense of uh, prayer and fasting for your future spouse, um, you know, and, and, and preparing yourself for that marriage. Because if you do the work now as a single man, like your marriage will be so much stronger. Um, when, if you, you, instead of coming into a, you know, needy and like, um, you know, wanting, thinking this is just going to be your outlet for, for sexuality. Like if you come into that with a mature sexuality, like your marriage is gonna be so much better. So use it use it as a as a time to explore those deeper needs um, that you're experiencing when you feel that longing for, you know, some sort of sexual experience or something like that. There's usually more to the story. So just kind of turn inward prayer, turn to prayer, and don't don't hesitate to fast as well because sometimes saying no uh, to your stomach or, uh, and the pleasure that food can bring also helps temper that sexual um, nature as well. So amen. Yeah. Um, like I literally, <clears throat> if, if no one's watching, I literally will make the sign of the cross toward that person. Lord bless that woman, bless her beauty. No man, including myself will lust after her, you know, Lord bless her. And one time I was driving in the car with my daughter after daughter day, she was very young and we were driving past the park and sure enough, there's a scanty clad woman. And I did that. I made the sign of the cross and I prayed internally. And my daughter in the backseat, I forgot she was there. And she was like, Papa, why are you making the sign of the cross? <laughs> I'm like, uh, that's a story yeah. for another time, darling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, wow. Thank you. So, wow, man, we covered so much in today's episode. I am so grateful. This is incredible. If you uh, enjoyed the public version here, uh, definitely don't uh, forget to head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus where we'll go into a lot more on this subject matter and we'll be coming in uh, other episodes in the future too about this about this topic as it is um so prevalent today as we were talking about in our lady of fatima it's you know i was kind of thinking about you know maybe it's maybe it's not the the quality of sin it's not the depth of sin but it certainly is the quantity of our time right it's certainly the broadest and the um you know the the most uh, easy to come by. So anyways, just so grateful for your time. Thank you for joining us on this episode. And as we end each of our episodes, be a man, be a saint.